you know, as a fourth year, I mean, obviously a very different situation financially than a lot of my peers, given the amount of financial support I've had. But I have a lot of friends that are literally just avoiding looking at the options because they're just so terrified of the number that they currently have. You know, like I'm in $350,000 of debt and I am terrified of even approaching that. So I've just deemed that I'm going to die in debt. And it's, you know, been really great to be able to point them towards the foundation and even just put in the really basic numbers like, okay, you just told me you're in $300,000 of debt. I can put those numbers in like very uh, superficially in for you and send you just this like list of options that you have for repayment. And there is options where the number is zero at the end. And I think just having that resource to offer to students is encouraging for them because then they can feel like, okay, maybe I can tackle this huge intimidating number. Um, so it's been great to explore VIN Foundation and, and offer those resources to my friends that are now beginning the process of deciding, you know, what do I do when I grow up and how do I tackle this intimidating, overwhelming number I've never experienced before in my life. That is Daniela Guzman, and this is the VIN Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast. I'm Jordan Benchia, Executive Director of the VIN Foundation. Join me and our co-host and VIN Foundation board member, Dr. Matt Holland, as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories, stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the VIN Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. All right. Well, welcome, Daniela. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I also uh, I want to introduce a special guest. Um, if you're familiar with with sports broadcasting, I suppose I'll be the play-by-play, and Dr. Tony Bartels will be the color commentator. Um, welcome, Dr. Tony Bartels, too. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Super happy to be here. Yeah, and, and the reason we asked Tony to join um, the episode with Daniela is because um, we are going to be diving into some um, financial topics, and we thought who better to weigh in on those than Dr. Bartels. But before we get to those questions, Daniela, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, how you got from baby Daniela to here? How did you end up where you are now? Um, yeah, through a series of really random things, um, which kind of leads me to like my biggest thing is that the things that you are most upset about in life end up opening so many doors for you. Um, so I you know, started out as baby Daniela in undergrad and, you know, I was shadowing veterinarians and everything was sunshine rainbows. And then I wanted to make some money. So I became a vet assistant properly and got a job. And then things were not sunshine rainbows. And, you know, veterinarians started to be more honest about kind of the struggles they were going through, especially the debt to income ratio. And, 
given these um, less than encouraging uh, statements and the advice of pick any other job. Um, I started exploring kind of the debt and the different options uh, for repayment and randomly contacted Dr. Uh, Mike Dix, who was at that point the um, oh geez, official title, the head of the economics department at the AVMA. And I uh, just messaged him asking a bunch of questions, you know, what do you think about only applying to my in-state school, um, given that if I get rejected, that's like a whole year of my life that's just gone, and a bunch of other questions. And he was very excited that I was asking these questions and offered me a, I guess, externship is the appropriate term for it, at ADMA with the economics department. And so I worked on a survey kind of looking at the financial education that students have prior to getting into vet school in vet school and then how it's impacted their lives post-graduation. After that, I finished undergrad and did not get accepted to my in-state school and let Dr. Dix know thanks for that letter recommendation. I'm going to need it again in a year. And he asked me, hey, do you want to do a master's in economics uh, at Colorado State? And I said, yeah, free degree. He says no to that. Um, and in six weeks, I finished my undergrad degree and moved to Colorado, uh, where I got my master's in agriculture and resource economics, uh, did my thesis on, um, you know, the value of preventative medicine to the small animal client, then got accepted to Ohio State. And now I am in my clinical year and I'm so happy to be done with didactic learning and ready to be a baby doctor. Okay, so from baby to baby, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right, I, there are several things I want to touch on um, in, in that story. One, uh, the power of like networking, but especially do you just like cold calling or cold emailing? You didn't know Dr. Dix before you reached out, right? No, he just posted um, a recent article that they had written, um, and he posted it on the pre-vet Facebook page. And, you know, at the end, he says, if you have any questions, reach out. And it's like, I will. And I did. Yeah, that's um, I think that just goes to show that uh, like people mean that when they say it and it can lead to all sorts of opportunities. Like, look, look where that led for you. Um, I know that's definitely not what I thought was going to happen when I sent those messages. <laughs> Yeah. And um, can you tell me around what time frame, like what years, um, like you, you know, let's say the externship, what year was that? Oh, geez. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, it was like the second summer of undergrad. Oh, God. I don't know. 2014, maybe. Oh, okay. A, so life, that, right. a lifetime ago. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that is right around when maybe a year before um, when Tony and I first I, I was going to say met you, but I would say like came across you because we saw you on a video that was playing wow. at the AVMA Economic Summit. And I think that was 2015, right, Tony? I, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that video and uh, like explain a little bit more about what you learned during that externship and how it informed your, um, your decisions, you know, applying to and, and after getting into vet school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so part of so the video is basically kind of a culmination of a bunch of different uh, ways that students can kind of minimize their debt load prior to getting into vet school. Um, just different advice, things like moving to, you know, if you really want to go to X 
state school, um, you know, maybe consider moving to that state ahead of time and getting residency and other such things. Um, and I actually have not watched that video again since it was made in 2015 <laughs> because I just cringe inside and I appreciate when people send it to me, but my like soul dies just a little bit because it's like cheesy and, and no one likes to hear their voice on recording. Um, but I think it really helped with just understanding how important it was to think about those things and make those decisions and kind of gave me the strength, especially when, you know, that those in the older generation were like, no, it's fine. Like you'll deal with it after. And I'm like, mm, no, I'm good. Thanks though. Um, so yeah, that, that pops up every once in a while like that. Oh my God, I saw you on YouTube. I'm like, ah, ha, ha, cool please keep that to yourself. Um, but no, I'm like so grateful that it exists and that it offered me this opportunity to be known. Um, but I will never watch it again. <laughs> no, so it's fine. <laughs> never, never say never. Oh yeah. I yeah. Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I remember when, when I first saw that, um, you know, it was, it was kind of as we were, uh, having some, I would say, disagreements but yet optimism um with the avma at the time because that was kind of you know mike dix was still kind of new to us and we were building a relationship and and kind of talking about our experience with student debt but you know when i you know the crux of the video was um that you know take kind of take a year off before you apply and save some money and you'll save some money on your student debt and and when i you know when i hear things like that it 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 makes me think about, well, the people that I help, you know, are not going to be able to save enough money in a year working as a veterinary assistant to significantly impact their veterinary education costs, right? We're, we're so far beyond that in terms of what it costs to become a veterinarian, depending on, you know, depending on what school you attend that, you know, that was just laughable to me, right? I mean, it's, it's really, you know, I, I think back to before I got into veterinary school, I mean, I was making 10 bucks an hour as a veterinary assistant, right? I mean, it was, it was barely enough to make ends meet, let alone save the amount needed to pay or appreciably put a dent in, say, a $30,000 tuition bill for the year, right? So um, that to me just – it kind of highlighted some of the – the frustrations that particularly Paul Pyan and I were having with with the AVMA at the time, in terms of like, hey, we need to we need to change this discussion around veterinary educational costs and veterinary student debt because you know the things that we used to talk about, um, you know, kind of back in the day, if you will, just aren't applicable anymore. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you could never never get away with being a vet assistant. You you'd graduate undergrad and need to get like a real adult job if, if you even wanted to stand a chance, like a real career. And, you know, some people do that. Some people like come to vet med second career after having paid off their undergrad loans. And, you know, that's a whole different thing because I was very fortunate to have not have undergrad loans, but you know, if you had them in it, it's not wrong to kind of pay them off and, and use whatever degree you got before starting vet school, which I know is painful to a lot of people who are like, but the dream is to be a vet. And it's like, well, you know, I hope that you'll live a long life and you don't have to do it right now. Um, but people, you know, don't want to hear that. Um, yeah, I, I was, um, I was on mute because I was furiously Googling to find this video to see, um, 
to see how many views it has. Do you have any guesses, Daniela? I know you said you'd never watch it again, so you haven't been there, but um, it's it's got 36,000. And, uh, and I bring it up because Tony also brought up Paul Pion and Paul Pion left a comment on this video and kind of like the theme um, from the question that I asked before or the comment that I made before about, um, you know, you never know what's gonna lead to what, like, you know, you don't you don't know um, <clears throat> when when stuff you know when things like this happen. Um, you can go back and see the comment that that Paul, the co-founder of In, made um, now five years later, and it it kind of echoes what Tony just said. And that's um, I mean one that illustrates just how small of a world veterinary medicine is, but um, two it's kind of it's kind of cool to uh, see like see that unfold over time, um, and uh, I. I think like part of this discussion um, or, or at least one thing I'm thinking of, and hopefully I'm leading you there correctly, um, Daniela, is um, like, why did you choose to go SU? Or were there certain parts about Ohio State that, um, that were appealing to your plan and your goals? Yeah, so um, after my first attempt at vet school. I didn't get into my in-state school. And so after that, I applied to basically every veterinary school that offered in-state tuition after the first year or like had automatic residency. Um, and OSU is one of them. So that was kind of the main reason why. And I went to the interview and it was very unique because I had felt like it was a school that wasn't just kind of making you feel like, oh, well, you're lucky that we even acknowledged your existence and allowed you to interview. It was more of a, um, you, we want you to pick us just as much as we want to pick you. Um, but to be honest, I picked OSU because they offered me the best scholarship and they had in-state tuition after one year. And the scholarship I received basically offset the cost of the difference of in-state and out-of-state tuition. Um, and honestly, like it, not that it didn't matter to me where I went, but the most important thing was how much money I was going to owe at the end of it. Um, and, you know, when I talk to students that are interested in going to veterinary school and they ask, like, well, which vet school if you want to do zoo or which vet school if you want to do X, Y, Z? I'm just like the vet school that, you know, gives you the least amount of debt so that um, when you're picking a job, money is not the rate limiting step for you. Um, because I really want to do zoo medicine and I recognize that my income will never look great. Um, and that's okay if my debt is low, but maybe it's not okay if I have a ton of debt and I, you know, can't afford to make the choices I want to in life. Um, so I love OSU. Uh, they were super about diversity and inclusion and made me feel really welcome. Um, but I honestly picked it because it was the most affordable option. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot of great, I mean, touched on a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about with VIN Foundation in the initiative we call Apply Smarter, right? So I, I do find that a lot of pre-veterinary students approach the application process as kind of a, you know, what I call spray and pray approach, where they just apply to as many schools as they can, and they pray that they get into one of them. And, you know, that can, you know, that can maybe lead to an offer of admission, but it also can, it, it, the probability is quite high that it could lead to you paying a lot more than you have to towards your veterinary education. And, and like you said, you know, there's, there's a handful of schools that allow you to switch your residency status after the first year, which is 
um, not insignificant, right? It can save you, you know, tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on a on the cost of a veterinary education. And so when people want to, you know, ask me, well, which school should I apply to? Well, it's first, it's your in-state one, like you said, that you started with. But then if you really want to apply to other schools, you can target these these other schools that do allow you to obtain or switch your residency status after that first year, which can really keep the cost down. And Ohio State's one of them, NC State, um, UC Davis, Washington State, Missouri. I don't think I missed any other ones there. There's five of them that allow you to switch that residency status after that first year so you can decrease the amount of tuition over the entire uh, four-year period. Yeah, the difference is like as for that first year, like $40,000 for in-state and out-of-state tuition, you know, and um, LSU actually recently, um, before you had to apply and basically whoever is up in the clouds decides based on like micromanaging your finances and determining whether or not you stayed in Ohio X number of days and spent X number of dollars in Ohio. Um, and in the last year or two, they actually decided that that was really invasive and inappropriate. And so they actually now just charge a $5 out of state fee. And so lucky students that came after me and I'm happy for them. Um, but yeah, that's uh, hopefully something that other places might move in the direction of so I don't have to micromanage my life, make sure that the school isn't like, hey, you went out of the state for 49 hours versus 48. Because <laughs> I'm not even kidding, like stuff like that would get you like caught up and not approved. It was very dumb. Well, that's great to hear that they made that made that easier. Um, I, I was going to bet that Tony would have brought up that there's no Harvard effect. And I would have lost that bet. Yeah, right. Well, thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, do you wanna talk about, about that? Because when, when Daniello is talking about how, um, you know, what, what best school should I go to? And you know, what's the best for zoo medicine or what's the best for equine? Um, and where should I go for this? Like, I, I bring up the Harvard effect or the lack thereof um, because it, it directly addresses those questions that Danielle was posing. Yeah, so that's another thing we talk about in the Apply Smarter um, initiative with the VIN Foundation is, is that, you know, it really, there are, at least currently, there's no data that says you're going to earn any more or any less because of the school that you graduate from, right? So the, the where you end up in, in veterinary medicine is really a function of, um, you know, your experience during veterinary school and the networking that Matt, you were talking about earlier, and then your interests and, and um, how you choose to pursue them, right? So everybody pretty much has, at least from what we can tell from the data so far, no matter what school that they attend and graduate from, um, can end up anywhere and everywhere within veterinary medicine. And what you earn uh, has nothing to do with the school. It has everything to do with the type of veterinary medicine you're practicing and where you're practicing and, and kind of the market dynamics that determine um, how much you can earn within that uh, specific area of veterinary medicine. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in it's who you know, not what you know. And I know that is definitely, I'm sorry, my cat is literally trying to maul me right now. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm a huge believer in it's who you know, not what you know. And I know that not everyone agrees with that or they, you know, lift their noses up to it. But to be honest, half the things you learn in vet school are outdated by the time you graduate just because of how quickly medicine and science moves. And you're always going to have to take CE for the rest of your life as long as you want to keep your license. But, you know, I took 
I took an L sometimes and didn't study as much because I went to conferences instead. And I've met so many people that have helped me move my career forward. And I know that a lot of students don't want to make that, you know, financial investment or they think that their grades are so, so important. But I've been in so many rooms where I'm the only student and there are a ton of important people. And just the more often you're in those rooms, the more often you're associated with like important people and being important. And that will get you so, so far, especially in those niche careers like zoo medicine where or like I'm really interested in policy and it's so much who you know and networking and not just hitting the books all the time which I think students sometimes don't want to hear because that's what we know we know how to study um but you know putting yourself out there is a lot harder especially in the world of COVID where everything's online and awkward so yeah I I completely agree with um who you know being as if not more important than what you know and I think it's a good segue into because like I think about jobs with that and um, and where you work and what you do and a good segue into working during veterinary school and thoughts around that. Um, you know, when is that a good idea? When might that be, you know, trying to squeeze in too much and, you know, not necessarily making uh, an appreciable dent in the bottom line of debt um, that's open to either of you. Uh, but I know, Danielle, you. I mean, since you're still in vet school, you went through that thought process pretty recently. Yeah, so I think this is kind of where Tony and I might, you know, disagree. And I know it's going to be very student dependent. Um, I always tell students don't take a job their first semester just because vet school is really hard. The transition is challenging, especially if you're going from undergrad to a professional school. Like I made the transition from grad to professional, so it wasn't as jarring. But I know a lot of students were not ready to, um, what do we say, it's like drinking from a fire hose. Um, so I just always say just like watch how it is. Um, I personally did not choose to get a job and actually really invested in being as um, competitive as possible for scholarships. And OSU offers some very um, lucrative scholarships. So I actually over the last four years, I think OSU has given me about $93,000 in scholarships. Um, which is very unique experience. Um, but for me, I just didn't think working was worth it because even if I got the best paying job as a manager at Aldi's, it wasn't going to touch what I could have gotten in scholarships. And so, you know, I am someone who's less risk averse. And so I kind of put my eggs all in that basket. Um, but obviously there are a limited number of scholarships and not everyone can get all of them. Um, so there is, there was that risk that I wouldn't work, make any money and then get no scholarships and then have really nothing financially. Um, but I am team scholarship and trying to hedge your bets on, you know, those more lucrative, higher value scholarships and not, not quote wasting, but using my time more to study and be involved in uh, clubs and stuff and just really putting myself out there with the school versus working. And I do have friends that have three jobs in vet school and I literally don't know how they do it because um, I know they're like three different kind of assistants and getting paid like nothing. And I'm like, okay, you, you live your best life and make your decisions. I just personally didn't think it was worth it to have three jobs at $7 an hour um, and then not study and be exhausted more so than I am already exhausted. Um, but that was just my opinion. Um, but I know Tony uh, has different opinions. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't differ 
too much from you on that one. I do. I do think we just have to to bring it back a little bit to reality there. I think. I mean, that's. I mean, it, congratulations on on being able to obtain that amount of scholarship um, within veterinary medicine. But but that's not normal, right? So I mean, that that's that's outstanding. But the data that we have available shows that about half of veterinary students receive scholarships and the average amount of that scholarship is about $6,000, right? So you are way, way, way at the, you know, the super end of the bell curve on that one. So just to kind of give everybody more of a, um, you know, realistic expectation around, um, you know, you can apply, you can spend a lot of time applying for scholarships and sometimes the time and effort that goes into that is not necessarily going to produce the kind of results that you saw right so and that's you know and it really is school dependent right a lot some schools like ohio state and and some of the other state schools do a really really good job of providing a lot of scholarships scholarships and some of the ones that are are pretty high in dollar value but then there are some schools that don't really offer scholarships at all right so that should be something that um the pre-veterinary students should be researching as they're applying, right? Do you have the opportunity for some of the scholarships like you received at the schools that are on your short list to attend? When it comes to working, yeah, I mean, I, it can be really, really difficult to work during veterinary school, particularly during those, those early years as you're just learning what it means to be a veterinary student. I mean, I did. Um, I don't know if it really helped all that much, um, you know, in terms of keeping my costs down, um, but it was just something I tried. And, and there are certain positions that fit nicely and allow you to still um, navigate your student schedule. And there are ones that don't, right? So, I mean, it really becomes kind of a cost benefit analysis to you in terms of how much can I earn versus how much is this going to pull me away from um, from all the things that I, I want to learn and pursue in veterinary medicine. Yeah, definitely. And and just taking not only into account the actual hours that you're working, but taking into account that like working is tiring, right? You don't go home from your 8, 10, 12 hour shift and you're like, oh my God, I really want to study now. Like, no, you just want to go to sleep or watch TV. And, you know, taking into account those hours that you maybe don't think about when you're considering a job, but you should totally think about because I come back from clinics and I don't want anything to do with anything. My my email inbox is just growing and growing and I like I'll be back to people in like three to five business weeks versus 35 business days um, because you come home from working and you don't want to keep working and for us working is studying and doing those types of things and so taking that into consideration too that it's not just the hours on your piece of paper schedule it's also the hours after that you still aren't studying or doing school things yeah i would i would add i think this is a a combination of what i'm hearing from both of you um i wouldn't say don't take a job in veterinary school, I would say don't take a job in veterinary school unless it will also help you grow professionally. And just speaking from my own experience, I'm thinking of like two jobs, very part-time, two jobs I had in vet school were um, helping the school's communications department. And I really like that because I have a background in journalism and it also scratched my networking itch. I got to interview people and um, kind of like understand how the school operated. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and another job I had, uh, was as a TA for, um, 
an infectious disease course. And I had a strong interest in that topic. And I also really liked working with students. And so it was work. Yeah. And it was tiring, but it, it helped me like figure out what I wanted to do versus, um, like there were jobs available at the ClinPath lab, uh, for instance, and I, like that wasn't interesting to me and that would have just stunted my growth, I think. Whereas other people who were interested in that as maybe a career option would have felt great about that position and might've felt like the stuff I was doing would have stunted their growth. So I would say there are so many, so many things to do in vet school that are worth your time that if one of them is gonna be a job that probably isn't paying a whole lot, uh, make sure it's not stunting your growth. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and kind of looking at those different types of jobs, like, you know, like you said, in vet school, everyone's thinking vet assistant or vet related thing. Um, but it really makes you competitive when you tutor students, especially for internships or residencies, because part of your job is to teach students is to teach fourth years or coming in or with your resident interns coming in. And it's not something you think about when you take the job, but you'd be surprised how well you can sell jobs that aren't vet assistant or have the word vet in it or are directly related to veterinary medicine. Um, so like, don't shy away from these other types of jobs that, you know, you're not wearing scrubs in. For sure. Um, okay. So, uh, being cognizant of time, um, I am curious, uh, just a few wrap up questions. What advice would you give? Um, you can answer one or both, but um, just a general theme of like, you know, what do you what do you know now that you wish you would have known then? But what what advice would you give pre vet Daniela or first year Daniela or, you know, what what wisdom have you gained along the way? Um, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, if it works, for you, it works for you. And if other people disagree with that, like who cares? Um, and you know, there's no one way to do anything. And some people are going to be upset at that, upset that you're doing it differently than they are. And as long as it's working, don't let other people's opinions impact you. I know that I got a lot of pushback because after I think like the first three weeks of vet school, I just stopped going to class because I learned that I was unable to really process the information being given to me and I just was not learning the way I needed to. I decided to just watch lectures after because everything is recorded at OSU. And so when class was going on, I was doing research or doing other stuff to improve the professional side of my career and networking and going to conferences. And then um, once the lectures were recorded, I would watch them and things made so much more sense. I could rewind. I could Google things as the professor was speaking and like pause. And I watched my grades improve significantly doing that. But so many people were just so up my butt about it and like, ooh, you're not coming to class. And it's like, why? how do you even notice my lack of being there? There are 162 of us. <laughs> just go away. Leave me alone, you know. And and I could have, you know, kept going to class, but then my grades would have suffered and it would have been to what a piece and people I literally don't even remember who they are at this point four years later. And it totally helped me in the world of COVID because that transition was so easy. It wasn't even a transition. That was just my life. Um, but yeah, and, and just, you know, life is so long. And I say that as someone who's only 26, but you'll be fine if you get rejected from like the school you thought you needed to go to. And you'll be fine if you don't get that position that you thought you would die if you didn't get in whatever club. 
and you know a lot of things I thought that I would die if I didn't get I'm so glad that I didn't get them and I'm so glad that I you know didn't end up at Cornell like sorry Cornell but I think I like I've been past there a couple times there's not a lot to do um but I'm really glad I'm at OSU and I'm so grateful that you know if I had gotten into Cornell I wouldn't have a master's and I wouldn't have this like cool thing that is so random and like not something I ever would have pursued if it wasn't for the fact that AVMA sponsored me um but in that moment when I got rejected I felt awful and terrible and I was like oh my life is over and I don't know like 18 or something you're you're fine um so just not really harping on those losses that you think are going to make or break your life because they aren't and not letting anyone tell you the right way to do something because as long as it's working for you and not harming anyone else like mm, people's opinions are vastly irrelevant all right i'm imagining a podcast title here it's something along the lines of um get every scholarship and don't go to class (laughs) (laughs) i love it that works for me and I'm sure yeah. that a lot of people are very confused how you can get both of those things. But uh, <laughs> you can. You can, in fact, never go to class and get lots of scholarships. Um, do you, I, you've, you've talked a little bit about this, but do you have a, like a best guess and or uh, a, an ideal uh, landing spot for post-veterinary school? I would really like to be a zoo vet in an AZA accredited zoo in North America. I used to think that I wanted to like go into the jungles, but I am in fact a princess and need air conditioning and I hate bugs. Um, So yeah, no, not for me, but that is the goal. How I'm going to get there, I'm not really sure. Being very much pushed in the direction of small animal rotating internship, which just looking at the salary for that i'm trying everything possible to avoid that route um but it's just hard because everyone's kind of like telling me i i need to do this um and if i don't like deciding not to do it i can't go back because they want recent graduates and so honestly just kind of putting that off for january daniela's problem um but yeah zuvet is is the dream is just how I get there is still in the works. Okay. And so, uh, if I heard correctly, um, people are telling you that you won't be a competitive applicant, uh, if you don't do an internship, but you also are strongly opposed to an internship. Yes. That is where I currently am. Okay. And then just for some, an added layer, which we also talked briefly about earlier, but and Tony, I think, um, can, can weigh in here, but what's the, um, what's like the average salary for a, a boarded zoo vet? Oh God. I don't know. We're second to last paid vets. I think we're like right above animal behavior. Um, and I know that there actually isn't a ton of information. There is a, a paper that should be coming out if it hasn't already recently come out, um, that, is honestly by now not even accurate just given the fact that it's so hard to collect that data and send it out in in time um i honestly don't even know but i don't even think it's like a hundred thousand i think it's less than that 
Yeah, I mean, our best I best information I have are mostly anecdotes, and that's kind of right around that same range, somewhere in the 80s, 90s, uh, currently, anyway. Um, once you become uh, boarded, now, now the that is, I mean, it kind of brings up one of my frustrations with the specialties, uh, for sure. That um, that you know they could certainly do a better job of providing some of that income information because you know i know everybody loves to say in veterinary medicine that i didn't go in this for the money at some point it's going to matter right you have to yeah. you have to know how much you can expect to earn so you can help just plan your life and and understand mm-hmm. and use that information to negotiate and those are those are important pieces of information that unfortunately are just not widely available when it comes to to zoo vets though too and i you know i i certainly haven't had the time to do this yet but um most zoos are you know kind of sometimes they're even um you know state or or in other words publicly run so you might be able to find that salary information online right or through some kind of information request and so that that could be a way of learning more about that particular uh, salary at least when it comes to those specific types of of zoos but um yeah it would be great if if those associations and the and the specialty colleges will act, would actually you know collect and publish some of that information yeah and it's tough because like the association american association of zoo vets covers like such a wide range of zoo vets right like we're talking about boarded zoo vets which is takes five to six years assuming you get it on the first try and so those that aren't boarded like that their salary must be so much less than those that are boarded and you know there is the option to go that route of experience but you're basically getting paid nothing for six years prior to being boarded and I don't even know what number that is you know how do I plan and at the end of the day yeah I love animals I love zoo animals but this is a job that this is a job that's what it is, and its its purpose is I give you hours of my life and experience and knowledge, and you give me money and benefits. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's wrong to have that conversation or to say, like, yeah, I did this because I love it, but I also did this so I can eat and have, like, electricity. <laughs> yeah, and there's actually – and just to uh, bring this up because this, this is a very common um, dream for most people who – start veterinary schools they want to be a zoo vet right and there is a we have recently opened up um the uh vin foundation message board system uh using the technology of course from vin veterinary information network for pre-vets to jump on and ask questions like that and that question actually has come up for like how much can i expect to earn as a zoo vet and we have had some of the zoo vets on vin uh chime in um, and that's where that data that I I quoted came from, which is very similar, Daniela, to the data that you that you guesstimated. So, um, if if pre vets are wondering, you know, feel free to join that or the Vin Foundation. It's free, right? And you have access to um, ask questions like that on the Apply Smarter and Student Debt Message Board areas of Vin Foundation, and we can actually have veterinarians who are experienced in those areas come in and, and try to answer those questions for you. Yeah, that is so awesome. And um, just like that, that's a resource that not only pre-vets, but current veterinary students have, especially, um, you know, as a fourth year, I mean, obviously a very different situation financially than a lot of my peers, given the amount of financial support I've had. But I have a lot of friends that are literally just avoiding looking at the options because they're just so terrified of the number that they currently have, you know, like I'm in $350,000 of debt. And 
I am terrified of even approaching that. So I've just deemed that I'm going to die in debt. And it's, you know, been really great to be able to point them towards Ben Foundation and even just put in the really basic numbers like, okay, you just told me you're in $300,000 of debt. I can put those numbers in like very uh, superficially in for you and send you just this like list of options that you have for repayment. And there is options where the number is zero at the end. And I think just having that resource to offer to students is encouraging for them because then they can feel like, okay, maybe I can tackle this huge intimidating number. Um, so it's been great to explore VIN Foundation and, and offer those resources to my friends that are now beginning the process of deciding, you know, what do I do when I grow up and how do I tackle this intimidating, overwhelming number I've never experienced before in my life. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, thanks for mentioning that. And, and I think that, you know, that's, that's really the, what, what we work really hard to do with VIN Foundation is, you know, no matter how much student debt you finish at school with, there's usually a way to help you manage it, no matter what um, you hope to do within veterinary medicine afterwards. I mean, it's always easier to manage less than it is to manage more, but there are uh, a lot of pathways to getting to that zero number, right? So um, some of them are, are, are more uh, strange than others, but uh, there is always a pathway to get to that zero. Yeah, and I, I'm, uh, this is such a great conversation. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to remember all the stuff I wanted to say without taking notes. Um, so I heard Tony say earlier that, you know, we all like to talk about how we don't do it for the money, but at some point that's going to matter. Totally agree. Um, then I heard Daniela say that, you know, we, we do, you know, we do love what we do and also we need to eat and we need electricity and we need shelter. And, um, it reminded me of what you said earlier, Daniela, um, which was, uh, it was, you know, I forget verbatim, but it was along the lines of, um, you don't want, you don't want your situation to be such that it prohibits you from doing what you want to do. Um, and like limit you from, you know, only, you know, only limit you to like maybe an ER job or something extraordinarily yeah. uh, on the high <laughs> yeah. end of the, of the income, um, and the profession. And, and it, it, cause you know, it makes me think of what Tony just said just now. Um, you know, you, you're going to have to manage. Um, it's easier to manage less than it is more, but there's also a way to manage this debt load um, so you can do other things in life that you want and need to. And um, if you're like the alternative is managing, you know, let's say you are at a job that you really don't want to be at, but you feel like you have to be. Well, then you start resenting that and you have to resent emotion or you have to manage emotions. Um, so that's like, you know, I think in some ways it's easier to manage the financial, um, like the figures there than the emotions of like feeling stuck. Um, and, and on that note, another VIN Foundation resource is Vets for Vets. If you are feeling stuck, um, that uh, that is a resource I bring up often, but it's because it's relevant to most conversations. Um, if you're if you're feeling um, yeah, stuck at work. And it's also a resource for veterinary students stuck in school um, with anything um, from like depression or anxiety to grief or loss. Um, Vets for Vets is there for you. So anyway, uh, bringing it back to the discussion, I think I just had one more question, um, which is if you wanted to leave the audience with one thing, Daniela, what would that be? Or it could be 
two or several? <laughs> um, so obviously what I said before, you know, um, but kind of similar to, I guess, what you were talking about, um, just the intersectionality of mental health and finances, because, you know, when I talked to my friend that had this overwhelming amount of debt, I was like, it's okay if step one is talking to someone about it, is talking to a counselor and, and learning just the way to manage that overwhelming panic. You know, it, step one doesn't always have to be the money part. Step one can be the finding the emotional fortitude and strength to even begin the process of looking at the money. And sometimes we don't talk about that and talk about how, you know, how important something like Vets for Vets is in, in even approaching our debt, you know, they're not mutually exclusive and talk to people, talk to your peers, talk to your mentors. Um, you know, hopefully your school like mine offers counselors specifically for vet students that all they do every day is listen to the same similar problems. And so they're well equipped at managing these emotions and, you know, it's okay for you to schedule an appointment with your therapist. And what the purpose of the appointment is to look at VIN foundation and your debt load and having someone there to emotionally support you while you're doing these things. Um, you know, you don't have to do them by yourself. We're all in the same boat and there's nothing wrong with admitting that, you know, I'm terrified to look at this and I'd rather just ignore it because that's, you know, easier, but harder. Um, and so really, valuing your mental health because it's going to be so important for all these other scary, intimidating, adulty things um, that we're maybe not as well equipped for as we'd like to be. Yeah. Curious if, if Tony had any thoughts on that. No, I think or, that was pretty good. That was a pretty excellent summary. So I mean, yeah, I, I think so too. Or if you had anything that yeah. you wanted to leave the audience with. I don't, I, I do think that just, you know, other than the fact that just realize that, uh, you know, if you are struggling with any of the things that we talked about, um, you're not the first or only person, right? So you're you're not alone, and we we have uh, a lot of resources. There's a lot of um, people dedicated to helping you understand some of the things that um, you might be struggling with, and 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 helping you to realize that there are are plans and um, and people that are specialized in helping you understand those types of things to uh to help you move forward and achieve your goals so don't uh you don't have to feel like you're suffering in silence if if um if you don't understand something or you're you're not quite sure how um how to tackle something like um you know your emotional emotional stress or your financial stress yeah totally agree um i i definitely fell victim to that after vet school uh like I was, I was being really hard on myself. I was like, oh, I should really know what I'm doing because I, I thought I like went to those lectures about this and paid really close attention, but now I feel scared of it again. And um, like, that's totally normal. And uh, I, yeah, the best thing to do is like, that's what Venn Foundation is for us. We're here to help. So, um, so yeah, I think with that, um, thank you again, Daniela and Tony for the guest appearance. Um, and yeah, uh, we'll see you next time and have a good one. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.